Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host Vince Peart. Once again and always we are joined by our co-host Tilly Baden. Tilly my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello everyone. Yeah, things have been good, thank you. So for those of you in the UK, we'll know that we've just had a nice long bank holiday summer bank holiday weekend um, and I spent mine with one of our good mutual friends. Um, we went up and had a, a very nice little city break together and drank a lot of cocktails and went to some bookshops and the next day, I tell you what, I wasn't hung over from alcohol, I was hung over from sugar. I had the ah. worst sugar hangover that mm. I've had in years because I've been doing all this clean living and healthy eating. I hadn't I realized I hadn't had any sugar, like proper sugar, if I know if you know what I mean, for yeah. like four or five weeks. And so drinking all those cocktails with all those sugary substances, I felt awful the next day. And yeah, it was not definitely not from the alcohol. But it was worth it. We had a really great time and we pestered you for quite a long time over the weekend as well. Um, that one's and obviously we gossip, was, uh, gossiping about you and everything. So, wow. yeah. Wow. <laughs> My ears were burning as I was at the football. <laughs> I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were. Um, and we even, we had to do a bit of child rescuing at one point as well. Right. Tell um, me more, tell me more. So, I mean, you can take the social workers out of work, but you can never stop us being social workers. So we're walking along and suddenly noticed this baby in a pram in the middle of the road on its own, no humans okay. around. Um, so obviously alarm bells ring, went over, checked on the baby asleep, um, but couldn't see who he belonged to. So I thought, right, we can't just leave them, obviously, leave him, obviously. And there was a couple of other um, people that were walking by and they stopped and was like, where, where is this child's parents or humans? That's not OK. Can't leave a baby in the middle of the road. Um, the mum had gone into a shop. So I went and got her and said, you really shouldn't leave your baby in the middle of a road unattended. Not the best thing. I didn't oh say God. I was so how, how did she, how, yeah, how, how did she react <laughs> to being called out as such? I wasn't the least bit bothered. Wasn't at all. I mean, our mutual friend who does work in children's services, her first thought was, oh, the child looks clean, healthy and, and well adjusted. It'll probably be fine. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. Like, oh Spoken my like God. a true social worker, triage <laughs> on the case and being fully exactly. aware of the resources available to respond exactly exactly but so yeah you can take the social workers out of work but not out of practice that was our weekend but how's your bank holiday been have you done anything exciting no more pocket stakes or or boot stakes or anything like that What's no i haven't got i haven't got the equipment set up yet i haven't got around to doing it i'm still trying to work out the logistics um i was speaking to my friend Dr. Price the other day, and she suggested that I get an air fryer. She likes the idea, but she believes that it could be a fire risk. And she I said that. Oh, I'm glad she agrees. Yeah. I understand you said that. This is coming from you know a doctor now. Oh, um, oh! Don't play the professions against one another. There's I'm no. Not, no, no, no. I've said it's good. Well, what I'm saying, I'm not playing you off against one another. As if I would play two women off against each other for my own benefit. Of course you wouldn't. Oh, of course. As if I would do something like that. 
I just think what I'm, what I'm essentially saying is it's good for you that your wariness of the situation is now supported by a doctor. I mean, what has a doctor got over fire hazards compared to a social worker? If you were speaking to a firefighter, then 100% I would respect their judgment. That's their area of expertise. But I'm sorry, I don't buy it. Social workers and doctors are equal when it comes to fire risks. What about a doctor of fire? Is that Doctor Flame? I mean, that sounds like some sort of superhero or villain or actually more like a villain, actually. Do you know what, you've turned me off the idea of an air fryer now. You're, the way you've dealt with this has made me, I'm, I'm going to use gas to spite you. That's more for you than as your grilled. car burns. No, yeah. with an air fryer, obviously with an air fryer, you'd have to have some sort of electrical output, wouldn't you? And air fryers take a lot of electric because it's generating heat. With a little gas stove, you just need a little gas bottle, don't you? You do. I feel like this is a disaster waiting to happen. You're going, you're going to be on it's the news. It's a lovely tea. It's a lovely tea waiting to happen. Um, but aside from that, I'm doing, I worked. I worked bank holiday Monday. I booked it in ages ago. I booked in a, a visit to a foster carer to undertake a, a visit as part of a Together or Apart assessment. Listeners who don't know what a Together and Apart assessment is, it's essentially an assessment that you do of siblings who could potentially be looking at alternative care outside of parental care and therefore being separated, whether that's separated into different adoptive placements, one adoptive placement, one long-term care, or both in different long-term care. It's essentially, it's a, it can be a quite heart-rending assessment to undertake, to be honest, because you have to determine uh, at often a very young juncture in children's lives whether the, the prospect of them being separated is potentially in both of their best interests, if they have different needs, if there's any sort of level of risk, if there isn't a strong attachment, if one child would best serve being in a different placement to another and so on. But I booked this in about six weeks ago with a foster carer without even realising it was Bank Holiday Monday. And the foster carer had been ever so polite had simply agreed to it. And by the time I realised that, I looked at my diary and I had no other space over the next six weeks. So I headed off south and, you know, I was listening to an audio book. I was singing along to some 90s dance music in the car. And I didn't feel so bad until I got to Leeds and I hit the bank holiday traffic combined with the traffic exiting Leeds Music Festival. And I was sat there watching all these young people, you know, looking like they'd had a, a jolly good time at Leeds Festival. And I'm sat there looking at them thinking how different my life was 20 years ago. I would have been the young man leading Leeds Festival after having had a rip-roaring time. And now I am off to work on a bank holiday Monday. How the turntables. <laughs> that is very depressing. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's not. I didn't find it depressing, to be honest. I I didn't find it that depressing. It was just, it was a, it was a dawning realization of how time and tide wait for no man or woman, Mm. no, no folk. Time and tide do not wait for folk. We could change that to make it a bit more gender neutral with the times. That's saying, couldn't we? But uh, yeah, you know, it just shows that there was a very, it was a profound moment when I realized just how different things had been because. If you go back 20 years ago, I would have been, you know, one of young young folk having a rip-roaring weekend and singing, you know, the old dude in the car heading off to work. And 
how time moves on for all of us. Yeah, you've reached midlife officially. I'm 40 in a month's time. I am 40 in one month's time. Exactly, isn't it, today? So, oh, yeah. Right, let's move on before I end up oh, end up getting old Kleenex out for a cry. I, I wouldn't be crying, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, there's only one alternative to getting old, and that's not getting old. Exactly. And yeah. I'd rather I'm be getting old than not. It's better than the opposite, isn't it? You know, it is. That's be, gra- true. be grateful to wake up every day and be alive. That's my attitude, even if that day does lead me. To the Leeds Festival traffic. Uh, it's a bit of somewhat of a morose topic, and I don't think it's potentially going to get much better given the subject we are about to tackle. So, uh, on this week's show, guys, we are going to be talking about knowing your worth as a social worker and a person. And get ready for this. There's some role play coming up. I know you've been asking for it. I know you've been desperate for it. And it's back once again. I am going to be subjecting my co-host Tilly to a short social work assessment. Ho, ho, ho. You'll all be looking forward to that. The drop-off rate in this show will be very low indeed because you'll all be listening for that. Tilly, you might not be so excited by it, but I am and the listeners certainly will be. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. I was not so thrilled when I got the email with the prep sheet and I saw role play was on there and our editor Nick was very excited too as were mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. I am not but I will give the people what they want it. exactly the I'm nothing but a martyr to the listeners uh, yeah well well thank you for your self-sacrifice my friend um so this week we're going to be talking about knowing your worth as a social worker and a person and this comes from uh, an article by our columnist millie glass i should say glass you say glass don't you would you I say do, glass or glass glass but then because you talk properly no, I'm just from the south. That's how we Millie say Glass. it. Millie Glass. I say Millie Glass, listeners, because I'm I'm a Northman. But uh, Millie Glass herself would say Millie Glass. So we should really we should really go with her. So let's just sort of call her Millie. So this week Millie wrote an article. It's a wonderful article. You can head over and read it at mysocialworknews.com. Her article is titled "Know Your Worth in Social Work and When to Move On to the Next Role." And I like this article a lot because essentially it talks. I'm not going to go through it in detail. You can head over to mysocialworknews.com listeners and check it out. It essentially talks about the importance of knowing your worth in social work and finding places where your worth is valued. And Millie in particular focuses on poor treatment she's had from previous managers who kind of had cliques of their favorite, who were quite toxic, who blamed her for things and who really was far more interested in the numbers on the system, the actual, you know, ethos and, and, you know, importance of practice and protecting children. And when Millie called this out, uh, she found that there was a deflection of meaningful accountability and the tables were turned on her and it was her, uh, it was her ability that was questioned. So that was a sign to get out of there. I tell you, I'm going to kick off with this one. Have you ever felt unappreciated work? If so, why and how have you felt that your worth was not appreciated and acknowledged? When I was reading this, I felt actually, I felt really lucky that I haven't overly experienced this in the same way that Millie has. Hmm. Um, I I haven't ever really experienced that toxicity of managers. Um, 
I mean, I've had managers that I haven't necessarily got on so well with, but never anyone that I felt has not valued me as a person or as a social worker. Mm. Um, So I feel like I've not really got that much to add to this conversation because it's not really happened to me, but I have known many people that it has happened to colleagues in different teams, um, friends from different organizations. And I think it is quite a common issue within social work sadly and it really shouldn't be but I suppose because we're in such a pressurized environment and not that that's ever an excuse but it does lead sometimes to sloppier management styles where people have so much pressure to get these numbers down and they're getting so much pressure from above that some people cave to that pressure and that's not an excuse because it shouldn't be but it it does you can kind of understand where it can happen sometimes you are a manager Tilly are you not I am indeed you have been one for several years have you not I have yes have you ever had bespoke management training and how to manage people not once no, no, I haven't. Um, How luckily, many managers I... do you know in social work that have had that? No, people, it, it doesn't even really exist, I don't think, certainly not in the UK. Um, I think perhaps some of our European colleagues do get that. I know I've worked with a social worker from Germany before, and they said that they get almost when they do their training, they get into two tracks, whether people you're going into frontline or people going into management almost straight away and they get that additional training but that's not something that I know that that happens in this country. And Tilly, do good social workers necessarily make good managers? Not necessarily no it is a although there are a lot of transferable skills they are there are different skills and some people can be the best frontline social workers in the world that would just make rubbish managers and that's not their fault that's just part of who they are. Can bad social workers often be promoted into management through knowing the right people, cliqueiness, or simply the attrition of having stuck around when other people have left? Yeah, of course. Um, And also, sometimes some people are better suited to management and that delegation and that general support than managing a caseload. I know I'm probably more organized as a manager than I was as a frontline social worker struggling with a caseload to keep on top of things. I I, I feel like I'm a better manager than I am a social worker. So when you add those things together, when you consider the relatively short-lived lifespan of social workers, when you consider the often toxic working environments, when you consider the fact that sometimes there are very few people to choose from when it comes to managers, when you also consider the absolute significant lack of any way, shape or form of management training whatsoever, is the logical conclusion to that people are always going to struggle in the management role in social work. And by making it up as they go along, We are rife to situations like this where managers simply do not have a clue how to really look after their workers. Exactly. Of of course, that's going to be the case. It is a different skill set that although you try and pick it up as you go along, it's 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 an art just as much Mm. as it is a science. And it takes time to develop that. I'm not saying this to I'm not saying this to condone or excuse or minimize abhorrent behavior. I certainly am not, I'm definitely not doing that. 
What I'm suggesting, though, is this idea that poor management and being unappreciated and being unsupported is, in my opinion, far more likely to thrive and to be allowed to prosper in a working environment and a professional culture where there is no management training, very little management oversight, and no focus whatsoever on staff welfare, unless it leaches into sickness, which affects the bottom line. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say. I think that happens a lot. I'm like you, I've never really felt unappreciated at work. Uh, I felt overburdened with work because, you know, going back many, many years, I, I used to be scared of admitting that I was struggling. And I used to be scared to kind of say no to work because I saw it as a weakness in me. But when I realized that actually standing up for yourself and being assertive and saying no was a sign of strength and you wouldn't be pushed around because I could deliver far better results on the cases that I was allocated rather than delivering mediocre results on many cases, I was delivering exceptional results on a fair and balanced caseload. I realized that was a sign of strength being assertive. So I've never felt like you. I have seen other people feel like you. I wonder though, if as a man, I wonder if I have a little bit of bias working in my favor on that one. Would that be fair to say that sometimes men like me might potentially escape that almost bullying behavior or have I got that wrong? Do you think my sex protects me in a certain aspect from some of the worst excesses of that potential bullying or do you think I've just been lucky? That's a really hard question, actually, because I think I've I've known male colleagues that have struggled like Millie has. I don't think it's a unique position for females, but I don't know. I think it's more about inner strength sometimes. I, I think some people are very assertive at almost standing up to that behavior before it starts and other people kind of take it a little bit and and before you know it escalates out of control and again that's please don't take that as me blaming the person that's being bullied for being bullied because that's not what I'm saying at all Mm. but I think there are certain characters where people wouldn't dare cross them in some sort of way and there are other people that people just more likely to I think. Do you think that's what it is? Do you think people wouldn't dare cross me? Do you think that's what it is? No, I think that they should not be crossed do you think that's what it is? I think you 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 would elude that. Um, do I give that, that vibe that I'm not that a man to be do. wronged? Yeah, I think you'd give t- you'd be too much of a headache to deal with. I think, ah! if it's not like that. Just let him do what he likes. People just just leave you be. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to cause a fuss. Uh, uh, you just would cause a fuss. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Let's pick on someone that's not going to make um, any fuss at all. Yeah, fair point. Because the reason I mentioned that, it has been suggested before that because I am a straight white male, that I get an easy ride. That's been suggested <sighs> to me before. Not in person, but several times online. That how how can I talk about hardship in social work because I get an easy ride because I am a straight white male. Yeah. And... I can see it from both perspectives because statistically, yes, you will get an easier yes, ride. I carry privilege with that role, do I not? There is a, you do. There, there is, is no privilege getting away in, with that. in our oppressive societies that comes with that status. And that, that's why I ask that. It's, it's nothing I felt. I've just felt I've been lucky. But I think we do. Do we not have to be mindful of our 
inherent privileges when we consider these things. And I think it's only fair that I, I, I do consider that. Yeah, we have to. I, I think all the research and the evidence and statistics shows that privilege exists. We, there's no getting away from that at all. You're privileged to work um, with me on this podcast. Oh, of course I am. I, I mean, what else? The privilege of being Vince Piat's pal. Oh, yes. I count my lucky stars every day that I get to role play with you on this podcast. Everyone's got a cross to bear, and that's yours. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are social workers as a whole poorly appreciated within society in general? So let's move on from us being unappreciated in specific roles. Let's take this to a wider issue and let's actually link this with kind of key worker recognition because do you remember all the key workers during COVID? Let's clap for carers. Let's clap, clap for the yeah. NHS. Nobody was clapping me. Um, I wasn't even getting a clap on the back. I was trapped like I had the clap, more like. Oh dear, don't lower the tone. We're not talking about that right now. Come on. Uh Hey, hey. Yeah, I didn't. I don't, to the best of my knowledge, I've never had an STI. I wasn't asking. Can we get back to the topic? I just wanted to right. clarify. I just wanted to clarify in case people thought that, in case people thought my joke there about being ostracized, like I had a sexually transmitted illness, uh, meant that I had experienced that. Um, I want to be clear that, to the best of my knowledge, um, I haven't had a sexual health check for many a year now. Uh, but I've only had one sexual partner in that period, so... Oh, Flint, do we have to talk about this on the podcast? This no, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just pointing out that if anybody thought, if anybody thought that that joke there somehow belied a position of mine, I just wanted to clarify that is not correct. So... So back to the question about <laughs> social workers as a whole, poorly appreciated within society in general. Do you know what? I used to think, yes, social workers are so undervalued. But I'm almost thinking it's a more even split over the years. I, I don't know if it's just maybe a change in field or just the, the people that I'm coming across in my echo chamber. But I think actually social workers are sometimes appreciated. I mean, they're not appreciated as much as they could be. Um, certainly, we don't get the recognition as a profession as a whole that, that is should be um performed to us but I think there are more people out there that do appreciate what social workers do um, and I think public perception of social work is slowly changing as much as we don't like to admit that it is but I'm just thinking of for example the recent child deaths that we've had when you look at some of the media comments um, because obviously that's what I like to do in my pastime, just see people criticising social workers. It's not as much of a criticism on the social workers as what I was always expecting there would be. I think there are some people, obviously, that will always hate social workers just for the nature of who we are. But I think there are also people that recognise that we are doing our best in a really difficult time. We're still feeling the effects of austerity. We're still working under a government that has slashed our budgets and our numbers are depleted and we're doing the best with what we've got. And I think there are some people that do recognise that. So I think it's a mixed bag. Would you like to know why gonorrhea is called the clap? No. Um, it's really interesting. It really is interesting. Oh, I feel that like, I feel that like you and our listeners would like to know this. 
There's two. Th- there's two. Is theories. that what you were doing? That's me talking about. I was listening. I was listening. You, but you weren't listening at all. I was I listening. I was. Li- I was listening. But I've. I've put. I've pulled up some information because I was thinking this is something you might. Do you know? Do you know why it's called the clap? No. Would you like to know? There's two theories. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you the two theories, and you can pick which one you prefer. Okay. Right. So one theory is that it comes from the French word clapier, meaning brothel. In the 1500s, this word referred to a rabbit's nest due to the active sex lives of rabbits. The name was picked up as a slang term for brothels, uh, and therefore, um, if you had the disease, you had clapier booble, and this was eventually shortened to clap. So essentially, clapier was a French word for a brothel, and it was shortened to clap because obviously if you were frequenting a brothel, you know, chances of getting gonorrhea are quite high. So that's theory one. You ready for theory two? I've got to be honest, theory two is my preferred one. Do you want to hear this next one? Go on then. Another theory suggests that the infection got its name in the days before antibiotics. <laughs> when <laughs> when <laughs> men... Get honestly, you got I'm, the giggles. Come I'm on, breaking. I'm gonna read this up. When men would treat gonorrhea by slapping their member <laughs> against a board <laughs> or clapping it between two hands to force out the infected discharge. Oh no! Huh? Oh, Vince, what huh? have you done? This was a. This was meant to be a somber podcast uh, where we're talking about appreciating uh, our profession. And you just lowered the tone I just, of poor I, listeners. You're gonna, just, have, uh, you're gonna have to have a content warning. Oh, I hope none of our not, listeners are listening not, with children. Uh, Tilly, our, I'm I'm look, I'm C car trained. I'm 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 condom car trained. I'm trained to deliver sexual health advice to teens and young adults. Okay, that's look, fine. You're dealing, but... What I'm saying is you're dealing with a man who carries a C-card here. I, th- I think a C-card carries the same weight as an Amex Black or a Nando's Lifetime card. You know, you need to start treating me a bit different. When I'm talking about stuff like this, I'm condom card trained by the NHS. I've, I've, given, out many a, I've given out many a French letter. Oh, you're just ruining the show. Hang on. Ruining the show with education? Knowledge is power, my friend. I, do you know, I, I maybe just, I've maybe just helped someone there because if there is a wife or a partner listening to this and she has got a partner, she is, uh, thinks is maybe being, you know, maybe seeing other women and she finds a slapping board in the bedroom and wonders what on earth are you doing with a bit of two by four slapping yourself she'll know what it's up now it's because he's uh he's 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 been visiting the rabbit's nest oh dear i mean you can be pro condoms without going down this path i'm both i'm pro condom and anti-sti isn't that the best of both worlds there's been anti anti anti-sti are you are you you, you support do you support do you support gonorrhea I don't support God. What yeah, well, you're right. Look, you, you, you're either in my camp, or you know, you're either a happy clapper or you're a sad clapper. Right, no claps at all. Right, can we just get? But on we would, that? but we did, and on about, and, and that, and that brings us full circle. You are right. There were no claps at all for social workers. What are the signs that you should look to find somewhere where you are valued? If you feel undervalued in 
a workplace or I don't know, to give another example, potentially a social work themed podcast where your host, um, rather than listening to what you say and decides to head over and look up why certain STIs have certain slang terms. What are the signs that you should maybe decide to look for pastures new? Well, I feel like I should flip this question straight back to you so that we know that you're concentrating. (laughs) If I don't, if I just start talking, Ah. you're going to be looking at STIs again. So come on. I'm not looking at STIs. I'm I'm not looking. I'm not, you know, I I, I ain't got a little, it's not embarrassing bodies around here. I'm not checking out people. I ain't got a little line out the room. Come on in. Come on in, Mrs. Smith. Yeah, I'm busy, but I'll have a quick look. I'll keep one eye on you, one eye on the podcast. Isn't that sort of set up? No, I'm sure. But I think you should answer the question so I can just sit back and not look at STIs. But I feel like you're just Googling stuff and not paying any attention to this podcast. So come on then. What do you think the signs? I've paid a lot of attention. There's so much. So I care for my listeners so much that I've imparted some knowledge on them. So um, what are the signs we should look for somewhere where you are more valued? I think for me, you just get a feeling. Um, you get a feeling that you're not cared for as a person. The best managers I've known have always been managers who have genuinely been interested in my professional advancement. There have been people who've wanted to push me. There have been people who've wanted to help me be the best social worker I could be. And this is the key, even if that advancement at bettering myself took me away from that role. And I think that's very, very key. Because it can be difficult as a manager, and I've been a manager before, it can be difficult to see your social workers outgrowing that team and looking for new jobs. It can be very difficult because you don't want to lose them. You don't want to lose them, but at the same time, if you don't nurture them, if you don't push them, you won't keep them for the time that you've got. So if I was just looking for one sign, it would be look for somewhere where management genuinely want the best for you, even if that doesn't serve their purpose yeah i couldn't agree more with that um best love you can give someone is to let them go if you love someone set them free don't set me free from this podcast because i was looking up stis instead of paying attention to you forgive me take me back yeah all right take me back that that two by four in the room is nothing to do with my visits down the rabbit's den it's just i'm putting a new shelf up (laughs) okay whatever you say Is it important, Tilly, to know your worth as a person outside of social work too, though? You know, we're talking a lot about our worth in social work, but if you have more confidence and more self-worth in yourself in the wider scope of your life, will that naturally lend itself to social work? Of course it will. I think this is one of the most important things that any of us social workers or not can do is to know your own self-worth and take care of yourself Um, we are people before we are our profession and I think it's only going to make you a better social worker if you know yourself and have greater self-esteem there is that should be your focus of not just your work but your life too on that note Telly it's role play time Oh, haven't you subjected me enough already on this podcast? First gonorrhea so, so, and now... I was just reading out some facts. I don't, know, I don't know why you saw... That was, that was from a medical website. That was from khealth.com. I should, I should put that. I should put that, actually. I should reference that. 
in the podcast description. Um, have you ever done the Rosenberg self-esteem scale before? I haven't, no. Oh, 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 well, brace yourself for this one. Um, so listeners, if you're unaware of the Rosenberg self-esteem scale, it was developed by an American social psychologist and sociologist called Morris Rosenberg. He was a professor of sociology at the University of Maryland from 1975 until he moved away and passed on in 1992. He is known for his work on self-esteem and self-concept. His self-esteem scale is the most popular and widespread assessment tool for assessing somebody's self-esteem. If you want to look into this, guys, it is contained within three seminal pieces of work he did called Society and the Adolescent Self-Image, 1965. That is where the self-esteem scale stemmed from. It stemmed from his work with adolescents, but even though it was based and founded on his studies with adolescents, it is widely applied to people of all ages. He then wrote follow-up books, Conceiving the Self, 1979, and Social psychology of the self-concept 1982 all that being said and duly referenced tilly i am going to go through the self-esteem scale with you i'm not going to tell you how it's scored but we're going to do this essentially there are 10 questions and for each question i want you to answer by saying you strongly agree with that statement you agree with that statement which is kind of agree you disagree with that statement or you strongly disagree. So I read out 10 statements for each one. You just simply tell me whether you strongly agree with that, you agree with that, you disagree with that, or you strongly disagree. You ready for this, my friend? So I can't sit on the fence and say neither agree nor disagree. I've got You've got, I'll, I'll push you one way or the other. I'd ask okay. you for a 51%, 49%. There is no middle option. Okay. Well, it's difficult. It's difficult for a for a lady like yourself who likes the finite margins and either or sitting on the fence. But there'll be no fence sitting tonight, my friend. No sorry. You ready for this? Okay. I feel like this is about to get really personal. Okay. I will brace myself. No judgment, please, listeners. Okay. Statement one. I feel that I am a person of worth, at least on an equal plane with others. How much do you agree with that or disagree with that? Um, strongly agree. Next one. I feel that I have a number of good qualities. Oh God, this is, this is really personal. Um, thanks for this, Vince. Um, agree. All in all, I'm inclined to feel that I am a failure. Oh God, this is deep. Um, uh, strongly disagree. Question four. I am able to do things as well as most other people. Agree. Number five, I feel I do not have much to be proud of. Disagree. Number six, I take a positive attitude towards myself. Agree. Number seven, on the whole, I am satisfied with myself. Ooh. Agree. Number eight, I wish I could have more respect for myself. Disagree. Number nine, the penultimate question. I certainly feel useless at times. Disagree. And the last one. At times, I think I am no good at all. Oh, um, strongly disagree. You ready for your results? Well, then, my, my 
broken inside. You scored 23, which is uh, high self-esteem. Um, so Rosenberg's self-esteem scale dictates that scores between 15 and 25 are normal. So you're kind of on the high side of normal. Anything above 25 is, is very high self-esteem, which, to be honest, having overly high self-esteem can be problematic, which is why 15 to 25. So you're, you, know, you sit well within the normal self-esteem range, but on the higher side. Oh, I'm happy with that. That's okay. Do I get to do this to you now, or do you already know your score? Oh, no. We're not, not going to do it to <laughs> Obviously oh, not. Vince. Obviously not. No, Obviously that's not. not fair. No, I, I, no, come on. You've subjected me to it. That is well, not that, that's, fair. That well, is this is, not the, fair. this is the role play. The role play. Role play night. You know it the role play ways. night. It, it goes both role ways. It doesn't. Role play night. Involved. Have you got? Have you got it up in front of you? Then go, go do it. I with have. Me yes. Hang on. Let oh, me oh, oh, I don't. I don't like it when it's on me. I don't like it when it's about me. I am the. <laughs> oh, I'm the one who knocks. The positions have. I. Heard. I'm the one who knocks. Okay. Right. right. So, first statement. I feel that I am a person of worth, at least on an equal plane with others. Strongly agree. I feel that I have a number of good qualities. Agree. All in all, I'm inclined to feel that I'm a failure. Disagree. I am able to do things as well as most other people. Agree. I feel I do not have much to be proud of. Strongly disagree. I take a positive attitude towards myself. Agree. On the whole, I am satisfied with myself. This is one where I'd sit in the middle, to be perfectly honest. I'm kind of like, uh... I, I, what a hypocrite I am, because I would, because... I wouldn't say I'm dissatisfied with myself. I wouldn't say I'm satisfied with myself because I've got a hunger and drive to always put myself forward. I would err slightly on the side of agree, but just very slightly. So go for agree on this one, but this would be like a 1.5 if I could. But I would okay. go, just go for agree. All right. I wish I could have more respect for myself. Strongly disagree. I some certainly feel useless at times. Disagree. At times I think I'm no good at all. Disagree. Ah, we scored the same. 23. You've got 23 as well. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So the reason why I've picked this one is I, I do this with every client that I work with. Um, it is, it's very, very useful. It is very useful because generally speaking, if people have got, sometimes people can have a too high self-esteem of the self and that can be dangerous. And sometimes people give answers that, you think, where's the basis for that? And it, look, mm -hmm. sometimes people have a self-esteem, you know, can be de determined regardless of your circumstances. Of course it could. There are many people who on the outward are massive successes in life, but have low self-esteem. There's people who have incredibly high self-esteem, but maybe suffering in life. But I do this with almost every client that I'm working with in terms of my independent social work, because obviously I'm not, you know, I'm not, formally psychologically trained i've got my counseling diploma but um i always find that things like this are very very useful the good conversation starters as well and that's why we do this listeners you know i know tilly jokes about being uncomfortable and i joke there about being uncomfortable but we i think it's very fair for us as social workers tilly to understand that if we cannot consider how these tools might feel towards you and i in a safe environment you know we're not we're not sat there in front of a social worker who's potentially assessing our mental health capacity or potentially assessing whether our children should be in our care or not 
we're just doing this between ourselves just to establish how we feel right now in a relatively safe environment. I think as social workers, if we can't acknowledge that we might feel a little bit uncomfortable doing this, then I think that is not very good for our empathy. So I think it, even though it can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, how on earth do we think it makes our clients feel facing these kind of questions and this kind of scrutiny, whether it's the Rosenberg self-esteem scale or any form of assessment tool in a live environment where their life is very much in the balance? Yeah, and it's that's a really powerful way to put it. Like yeah. you and I, we've known each other a long time. And OK, yes, we, we're talking to the listeners as well, but we're comfortable with each other. And if you're doing this on perhaps maybe the first visit or the second visit to someone yeah. with a complete stranger, that must be really, really tough. And I think it's how you deliver it, though. To... It's how you deliver it. You know? uh, it is. It is. I certainly but... wouldn't deliver it like I've delivered it with you tonight, r- riding roughshod through it and firing it through. It, it's how you deliver it. And it's 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 adapting the phrases and explaining the importance of it. And it, it, it is to help. It's never my assessments with clients. I always make it very, very clear. I'm looking for the positives here. I am not looking for reasons to fail you. I am looking for the positives. I will try as hard as I can to get the positives there. There may not be enough, but we will always look for them and we'll look for them together. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. The only right way 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 to do it. it. It's the only way to do it. It's it's, it's having that congruence and empathy is the only way to do it. And if I cannot sit here and we cannot go through things like this ourselves, then it's very, very difficult for our clients. And let's come on to this one then. Um, How can you build self-worth if it's lacking? So we've talked about worth in this podcast tonight. And obviously, that's very, very strongly linked to self-esteem. You know, if you know your worth, generally speaking, you have a high self-esteem. If you don't know your worth, then generally speaking, you have a low self-esteem. So let's talk about how we can build self-worth if it's lacking. Let's break this down in terms of ourselves, our listeners, and with our clients. We'll do this one by one. So let's talk about ourselves, Tilly. Um, If you lack self-worth in certain aspects of your life, or if you ever have before, you know, there were certain areas where you and I said agree or disagree. We were kind of borderline in certain areas. What can you do yourself? What helps you build up your self-esteem and worth when it's lacking and has been knocked either through your own worries and insecurities, vulnerabilities and perceived weaknesses, or because the rigors of the world have left you bruised and battered? So I think it's a really good way to get a third party involved if you're feeling Mm. like this, whether that's a family member, a friend, if it's at work, maybe a trusted colleague or your manager or supervisor. You need to be exploring why you feel like this and Mm. getting some different perspective because it can be very easy to be sort of trapped in your own negative mindset and not yes. be able to see the woods for the trees. Whereas sometimes you need that person just to bring you out of that and just remind you that you are a good person and you have done decent things and there are things that you should be proud of. Um, and that that does sometimes take someone external to your own mind. Very good. Very good answer. And who would you usually seek in that position? Would it be friends? Would it be family members? Who would you... Who would you go to for that reassurance and affirmation of your self-worth? Um, the first person would be my mum. Um, mm. She'll be pleased. She listens to this podcast. So hi, mum. Hello, Carol. Sorry about uh, 
Sorry about talking with SDIs with your daughter again. I apologise. You know, now now I know your mum listens. I'm gonna I'm gonna behave myself a bit more. I'm on the I'm on the spot. You know. Sorry, Carol. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, um, yeah, shout so out you- to Carol Baden. <laughs> She's going to be mortified. <laughs> but, uh, oh, bless her. Um, anyway, yeah, so she would be my first person that I would go to or my friends or colleagues or manager or mm. a- anyway. It depends on the situation. It depends what it is that you're you're struggling with, really. Is it healthy to seek validation in other people at times like that, though? Yeah, of course it is. I think you need I'm just to. checking, I'm just checking, because I'm very different to you. That's the reason I'm asking. We'll get into how I deal with it, but I just want to check, because I would never consider doing that, and I'll explain why soon, but that is a good way of dealing with it, is it? Because it's so, it's so opposite to what I do. That's why I'm saying, that's why I'm asking. Okay. I think it depends who you're going to. You've got to have that relationship with the person that they'll be brutally honest with you. Um, like I know that you would be brutally honest with me about certain too things. Honest. Too like, honest. Too anything. honest. Too, too bloody honest. <laughs> and and yeah, I've got other friends like my friend Nikki. I would go to her, and I know that no matter, she would call me out if I needed yeah. it. There's you can't do this with someone that's just a passing acquaintance, no. because otherwise you're not going to get that true reflection. Because a lot of people don't like giving criticism. It it can be no. really hard, and no. and that. You, you've got to know that person and and trust them to call them out on your BS, basically. Yeah, right. I'm intrigued to hear about you then. What what do you do? I what do you think I do? You know me well enough. What do you what do you think a man like me does? If I feel that my self worth has been knocked and I'm lacking a bit of confidence and I want to put things right, what do you think I do? This has got to going to be something to do with stoicism, meditating. No, and... no, 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 no. I, I, do you practice I, gratitude? Because I know that that's... No, that's no, I just, I, I drive on with action. I find something to commit myself to and I find, I find action. I find a great drive forward to fix and improve and I tend to find a passion. A lot of the great leap forwards in my life and great changes have come in the aftermath of feeling very, very low indeed. Um, it's bizarre how it's happened. Um, our podcast, the website that I started before um, Social Work News, the decision to write my book that I wrote before Social Work News, um, decisions to change jobs, decisions to commit to changes in my life, decision to never drink alcohol again, um, decision to give up smoking when I used to smoke. Um, a lot of the big leap forwards and sudden changes in my life stemmed from a feeling of weakness. I've either been pricked in a certain place and I haven't liked it. I have acted in a certain way that I felt was below me or base when I've been triggered by a fear or an insecurity, a weakness or a vulnerability. And when I felt that sense of my self-worth being knocked, I've had to fight and fight and fight and strive and rage against the dying of the light and make good. A very different approach to your own, very different one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's benefits in both, I can see. Um, Yours might be more healthier. Yours might be a healthier style than just <laughs> raging with spite and self-hatred and burning desire to make it good. 
do more, do something bigger, make up for that weakness and vulnerability and insecurity, make sudden leaps and sudden changes. Uh, because the risk of making those sudden leaps and sudden changes is what you leave behind. Yeah. And I think if it if you're doing something to get external validation, Bingo. then that can be a really dangerous place to be. You've got to want to do it for yourself and not for the validation from anyone else. And I think that's yes. a, a thing to be careful of. And that, and, and that is the issue, you know, striving on and taking that burden on yourself can be dangerous. Um, let's talk about our listeners then. Let's give a bit of advice to our listeners. My advice would be don't necessarily follow my roots. Not the best. No, advice. stick to mine. I'm uh, much better at giving advice. Yeah. So that's the advice we'll give our listeners. Okay. Do, do, do as Tilly does, not as I say. Would that be fair, Tilly? Should we just, that should be the mantra of the podcast, really, should it not? I mean, yeah, let's, that should be our new tagline. I think that's ah. it. <laughs> Rather than by social workers for social workers, it should be do as Tilly says, do as Tilly does, not as Vince says. I like that. Um, last one, then. This is, you know, to tie it up nicely, perhaps, you know, the most important lesson of the lot. How do you build up the self-worth or help empower and support our clients to build up their self-worth? So I think this is our primary goal, really, is to support people to feel that they have their strengths and helping people find that there is internal strength that they have. They've got positive things in their life, no matter how awful their situation might be. And if we can find that key to motivating them to change, then that's our, our goal, really. Um, that could be difficult because sometimes it can be hard to get people to see their strengths, especially mm. if they've been downtrodden by life but if we can hold that hope for them and show that we're going to work through them whatever it is that they need to work through and sort of hold their hands through it and say that we believe in you even if you don't believe in yourself I think that's a really powerful thing that social workers can do it's very touching Tilly it's very touching I like that I just, this is one of those situations usually it's you usually you'll go there's nothing I can add to that there isn't much to add to that, but I'm going to have a good go anyway, because that's just me. That's just me. I want to try and have the final word on this one. So watch me get nowhere near as good as you, but fail in trying. Um, for me, I think our client's self-worth is built up by showing empathy and congruence and compassion, helping to teach people that they are a person of worth and they are valued. And in doing that, I often find motivational interviewing works. And this is why I quite often, I'll say quite often, more or less always exclusively, will try and understand the people that I'm supporting self-esteem before we begin the assessment. I do that in the early stages because then we can look at it at the end and we can look at it and say, well, you know, your self-esteem was this at the start, where is it now? Because a lot of the people that we work with in social work, their self-esteem and self-worth has been significantly damaged, not by their own actions, but by what's been done to them by generational trauma, by their own experiences of childhood abuse, by being in long-term domestically abusive relationships, by being out of work for long periods, by having mental health issues, by having drug and alcohol addictions, by feeling as if they're ostracized and monstered and on the fringes of society and have little hope. And that when they compare their life to the, that they're living right now to the one they dreamed of living when they were a little boy or little girl, 
they can't help but feeling like they are massive failures. So for me, it's showing people that unconditional positive regard and letting them know, well, look what you have done. Look, look how much you have got to be proud of. And obviously in my line of work, I'm always working with parents. And I'll always try and frame it with, what message do you want to give your children? Do you want your child to end up like this? Do you want your son and daughter or sons and daughters to be in this situation? And if you can find a North Star for somebody, if you can find a value that they espouse to or an ideal they look up to, that can really help with their self-worth because a lot of people who are lacking in self-worth find it very difficult to do things for themselves. But if you can give them a reason to do it for other people and to help frame their self-work about worth around tangible results, for me, that's the best way that I can improve it in the time-limited period that I'm involved in people's lives. I love that North Star analogy. Yeah, you've, you've been equally as touching, if not more touching than what I just said. Thank you very much, my friend. Um, well, listeners, thank you ever so much. That was a um, difficult podcast. Difficult, difficult, difficult for telly, indeed. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I, like you know, I need to go and have a lay down, I think, after this recording. Yeah, do, do. And, and, you know, think about how, how, how high self-esteem you've got for yourself. That's a positive thing. Um, but listeners, thank you for tuning in. Um, as always, we really love you listening. You make this show and we do it for you. Please do consider heading over to iTunes or Spotify, anywhere else you get your podcast from, and leaving a quick review. It will take you a couple of minutes and we will read out your name and your review on next week's podcast. Do also check out mysocialworknews.com for any of the articles we've discussed today and you can also read out various different offerings we publish around three different news pieces and articles on a daily basis do head over there to mysocialworknews.com and check out our stories we'll be back next week until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me 